podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. On today's episode, we'll start with a review of our Coppa Italia match against Empoli. In part two, we'll provide an update on the latest news and transfer rumors around Napoli. And in part three, we'll preview our match on the weekend against Fiorentina. So let's start with the Coppa Italia match on Wednesday. Here's how it went. Run away for the first half. The current defending champion, Napoli, versus top of the table in the Italian second division. Empoli with plenty of firepower and quite a good defensive record and currently on a 12-game undefeated streak. He's Lozano, easily gets past his defender. It's Di Lorenzo who headers in. It's 1-0 to Napoli here. And for Berami, can he shoot? He can, and it's into the far corner. Empoli with the equaliser here at the Diego Armando Maradona. Astonishing scenes here. As Lozano shoots from distance, and what a goal from Kirby Lozano. The Mexican with a brilliant strike from distance. Napoli ahead once again at the Maradona. Do we have added time? It looks as if we don't. We're on the 45-minute mark here. A great first half for Napoli and Empoli fans and also for neutrals. Llorente as well with Lorenzo Insigne. Second half is underway. Round of 16, Coppa Italia action here from the Maradona. Assembly with a shot from distance and it's found its way in at the far corner once again. Quality strike once again from Berami. He's got two here at the Maradona. Got a corner kick into the 76th minute here. Oh, it's cleared off the line and put back in. It's Andrea Pantania to put Napoli back in the lead. It's 3-2. It looks as if they will progress through to the quarterfinals. And that is the final whistle here. A memorable evening for Napoli and their fans at home watching around the world. The dream is over for Empoli. But uh, Coppa Italia quarterfinals football awaits Napoli. They'll take on the winner of Roma and Spezia. As you heard, Napoli won 3-2 on goals from Giovanni Di Lorenzo, Chucky Lozano, and Andrea Petagna. Empoli got two beautiful goals from Nadim Barami. This was a really entertaining match. I actually thought Napoli played really well, despite conceding those two goals. I thought Gattuso did a good job of rotating the squad in anticipation of a big match on the weekend against Fiorentina, and I think that was a big reason why we played so well. We had a lot of fresh legs on the field with Koulibaly just returning from injury, Elmas, Lobotka, Deme also just coming back, and Politano, who hasn't played a whole lot lately. 
Credit to Empoli, I was impressed with their play. They definitely held their own, they moved the ball really well, and they did it with their B team because they also have a huge match on the weekend. They play against second place Salernitana and Serie B. You can clearly see why Empoli are at the top of the Serie B table. I thought they played better in this game than both Torino and Spezia did against us, especially when you compare our performances in those matches to this one. Chucky Lozano was one of, if not the best player on the pitch once again. Amir Rachmani rebounded from his poor performance against Udinese, and Koulibaly went right back to dominating at the back. We'll talk about all of that in this review and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first, let's take a look at the starting lineups. In his pre-match conference, Alessio Dionisi confirmed that Empoli would use the line that has been adopted for the Coppa Italia so far and that those who have found less space will find an opportunity to play in this match. Dionisi clearly didn't want to risk anyone with that match against Lernitana on the weekend. In addition to that, the Napoli ASL quarantined Dionisi three players and a staff member at their hotel. The three players were Empoli's top scorer, Leonardo Mancosu, Simon Zerkowski, who's a fairly regular starter on the left wing, and backup centre-back Roberto Pirello. As a result, Empoli had a number of changes in their starting 11 compared to what we had predicted, which was based on their usual lineup in Serie B. Empoli still lined up in their usual 4-3-1-2 formation. Jacopo Furlan started in goal. Nicolo Casale and Mattia Viti started at centre-back. Viti is only 20 years old, by the way. Alexa Terzic played at left-back and Davide Zappella played at right-back. Samuele Damiani started in the center of the midfield, with Nicolas Haas to his left and Samuele Ricci to his right. Nadim Barami played in the Trequartista behind Ryder Matos and Marco Olivieri. Napoli had four changes compared to our predicted 11. Gennaro Gattuso lined up in the 4-2-3-1 once again with Alex Meret in goal. Amir Rachmani started over Nikola Maksimovic at centre-back along with Kalidou Koulibaly. In retrospect, that made a lot of sense to me. I thought it was a great show of confidence from Gattuso. It also gave Rachmani an opportunity to restore his confidence against a weaker club and with much more support around him. Not only was he paired with a world-class centre-back in Koulibaly, but he was also supported by much quicker holding midfielders in Stanislav Lobotka and Diego Demme. The other benefit of starting Rachmani here was that Maksimovic got to rest so he will likely play against Fiorentina in Serie A and against Juventus in the Supercoppa Italiana. As expected, Fauzi Gulam started at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back because he's suspended for the Fiorentina game. I was happy to see Lorenzo Insigne get a rest on the left wing, but that meant Chucky Lozano did not get a rest. Unfortunately, one of them had to play. Matteo Politano started on the right wing. I was a little bit surprised to see Elif Elmas get a chance in the 10th spot, though I wasn't necessarily opposed to it. I thought Dries Mertens would start in this one, and Andrea Petania started again at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's check on our three keys to the match. Our first key to the match was that we needed to treat this game like it was a Serie A match, and I think we did that. We did start some backup players, but that was necessitated by the schedule, and those players definitely seemed up to the task. I thought the effort in this match was far superior than the effort we've shown in some of our other recent matches against equally weak opponents. Gattuso also demonstrated that he wanted to win this match with some of the substitutions he made. Lorenzo Insigne, Fabian Ruiz, Piotr Zielinski, and Tiemoy Bakayoko all came in off the bench. Fernando Llorente did as well, which was a bit of a surprise to me. Again, I was expecting to see Dries Mertens get some time, and that's actually a good segue into our second key to the match. The second key to the match was that we needed to reintegrate some of our key players. 
I'm calling this one a push. We started both Kalidou Koulibaly and Diego Deme, but Dries Mertens did not play at all. Maybe that's a bit harsh. Koulibaly played the full 90 minutes and Deme played 88 minutes, and I thought both were excellent in this match. I felt much more assured with Koulibaly back there. His presence alone makes such a big difference. He didn't necessarily make any spectacular plays, but he's very reliable and he does all the little things well, and that makes a big difference. He made a couple of beautiful long balls, including one to Politano on the right wing and another to Gulam on the left wing. He made a couple of tackles and interceptions that immediately stopped Empoli's counterattack. He covers a ton of ground. He regularly chases players down on the wings when our fullbacks get caught up the field, and he's not afraid to push up and pressure opponents in the midfield, which often forces mistakes. Diego Demme was solid as well. He has regained the form that he showed when we first signed him, which ultimately cost a lot in his job. As I mentioned last time, Demme is quickly replacing Fabian as the preferred option in the double pivot. Few players on this team work harder than Demid does. He covered more ground than any other Napoli player in this match, but I think he's challenging Fabian for that starting role, or at least a timeshare, because of how he plays. Demid is always moving. Off the ball, he's constantly pressing opponents and closing down passing lanes. In possession, he's always giving his teammates, especially his defenders, an option in the midfield. When he gets the ball, he releases it quickly and he keeps on moving. That's how you break teams down. When you hold the ball, you give defenders time to get him to position and mark their men, which then leaves few passing options available. So both Koulibaly and Deme were very, very good in this match, but we didn't see Dries Mertens. He was certainly fit for the match. We saw him warming up on the sidelines, but I guess that was more of an emergency option. And once we scored that third goal, there was no reason to rush him back. Our third and final key to the match was that we needed to keep a clean sheet. We conceded two goals in this one, so obviously this one is a fail. As I mentioned, the two goals were both excellent hits, but this still wasn't our best defensive performance. In our preview, I talked about how our defense needs to help out our attackers if they're struggling to score, and that our midfielders need to help out our defenders. With them and Lobotka both starting, I thought that would happen, but I don't really think that it did. I saw people complaining that we gave Barami too much space to shoot. I don't think that was an issue on the first goal. I think Di Lorenzo played him well. The issue was that Matteo Politano tried to clear the ball out when it seemed out of reach, and he would have been better off just putting his body in front of the shot. Not to hate on Alex Meret, but I think he assumed that that shot was going to miss the target. I thought he had a chance to make the save if he dove. It would have been a spectacular save, so perhaps it wasn't expected that he should save that shot, but he should have at least made an attempt. I do think we gave Barami too much space to shoot on the second goal. Both Deme and Lobotka dropped a little too deep and couldn't get to Barami quickly enough to interfere with the shot. Credit to Empoli though, the play started with a team press on the left side to win possession. Olivieri pressured Meret, Ricci pressured Rachmani, Barami was tight on Lobotka and that forced Rachmani to play the ball down the line to Di Lorenzo who was dispossessed by Terzic. The cross was headed out but Casale played the ball right back into Terzic who assisted on the goal. In addition to the goals, Empoli had their fair share of scoring opportunities. According to the official match report, Empoli had 12 shot attempts, 6 on target, and 5 scoring chances. Those chances included an acrobatic effort by Matos that bounced off the top of the bar. That came after a nice build-up between Matos and Ricci. It also included a Moreo volley late in the match that came close to forcing extra time. I thought Empoli got forward way too easily in this match, both on the wings and in the middle of the pitch. I think we've been showing our opponents a little too much respect by sitting back and letting them come at us. And I think a big issue is that we're not pressing as a team. 
I thought Diego Demma did a great job of pressing, but the press is only effective if everyone does it all at the same time. When you don't press as a team, you give the opposition space to pass the ball, which is why at times it seemed like Empoli was able to carry the ball through the midfield with ease. So we achieved our first key to the match, we pushed on the second, though you could argue that we achieved that one as well, and we failed on the third, so it's not surprising that this result was a close win. Before we close this pot, I just want to cover a few more points, starting with Chucky Lozano. He put in another incredible performance. I wasn't expecting him to play at all, but I'm glad that he did. He was involved in all three goals. He linked up with Di Lorenzo on the first goal. Lozano blew past Zapella before crossing to Di Lorenzo with the outside of his boot. Credit to Di Lorenzo for the header. That's a really tough play to make with a header from that distance. I'm amazed at how much power he got into the header because the ball wasn't coming in with a lot of pace and he had to get low, not to mention the accuracy of the shot. And then he showed his respect for his former club by not celebrating the goal. Di Lorenzo and Lozano were clicking in this match even though they started on opposite sides of the pitch. Early in the match, Di Lorenzo played a beautiful no-look through ball to Lozano, which led to a good shot on target and a better save by Furlan. Had that ball gone in, I think VAR would have reversed the goal for offside, but the quality of the shot was both an indication of the form that Lozano's been in lately and of what to expect from him in this match. Watching in real time, we gave Di Lorenzo and Lozano all the credit for the first goal, but watching it again, this was a really impressive team play, probably one of our better goals this season. We did so many things well on this goal. Six different players made at least one pass. We had a number of offensive players coming deep to support the defense. Both Politano and Pitania came very deep on the play. We also saw our defensive players supporting the attack in Di Lorenzo and Gulam. We played ourselves out of the back with quick passes, which is something we haven't done enough of this season. Di Lorenzo and Deme played three one-touch passes before Pitania switched the play, which is another thing we did well here. We used both sides of the field. The second goal was all Lozano. You can't even give Politano much credit for playing the switch because the pass lacked accuracy, but Pazzella's touch was too heavy. Lozano only needed two touches to punish him, the first to steal possession and the second to fire an absolute rocket past Forlan on the half volley. Finally, Lozano and Di Lorenzo linked up again to win the corner kick which led to the third goal. Shout out to Amir Rachmani who nearly scored on the corner kick but his header was cleared off the line by Ricci before Petania tapped in. The last thing I want to talk about is Andrea Petania. This guy continues to get a ton of hate whenever he plays and I honestly don't think it's warranted. I know he spends a lot of time with his back to goal but his hold up play is so good that I don't have a problem with that. We had a few chances come directly as a result of his hold up play with his back to the goal. There was the Insignia shot that went way over the bar which started with Petania. Quick sidebar Insignia is really struggling to hit the target right now. He looks visibly frustrated which is only going to hurt his game further. He needs to learn to move on and not let a miss affect his play. Back to Petania, I don't think his teammates are helping him out a whole lot. The service to him remains poor. I counted six plays where the ball was played behind him, so of course he's going to end up with his back to the goal. Most players wouldn't even reach those passes, but because of his size, he's still able to control the ball. I also saw people complaining that he's never in the right place. I don't know about that either. He certainly put himself in the right place to score the game-winning goal. That was his fifth goal in all competitions, which is an excellent clip for a player who has only started in 10 games, and three of those five goals have been the game winner. So perhaps it was more dramatic than we wanted it to be, but we got the win and we're going to the quarterfinals where we'll play against the winner of Spezia and Roma. 
That will do for part one. In part two, we'll cover the latest news and we'll provide an update on the latest transfer rumors. With no midweek Serie A action, we can finally get caught up on the latest news and transfer rumors. On Wednesday, the club issued an official statement confirming that President Aurelio De Laurentiis requested a postponement of the Supercoppa Italiana match against Juventus. The statement said that the proposal to move the match to the spring was made in the hopes of having seats at least partially filled at the MAPE by then. The statement also said that the proposal was aimed at seeking additional funds from regional and state authorities and from sponsors to raise money to donate for COVID research. I'm not so sure I believe that part if I'm being completely honest. Finally, the statement confirms that the proposal was rejected and Napoli will be in Reggio Emilia on the 20th to contest the match. A lot of people, including Napoli fans, thought this was a bad look after the controversy with the Juve match and the ensuing appeal. I completely agree with Laurentiis on this one. This one game tournament was invented just to make money. What's the point of playing it now with no fans and with limited sponsorship revenue available? Meanwhile, we have a game in Serie that has not been scheduled and could have been played on this date. In other news, Victor Osman continues to test positive for COVID. He first tested positive on December 31st and his latest positive test was January 14th. I know a lot of people are skeptical that the club is hiding something and frankly so am I, but we have seen COVID cases take a while to go away. If I'm not mistaken, Cristiano Ronaldo took around 18 days to test negative, Paulo Dybala had it probably for even longer than that, so we do just need to be patient here. After the Coppa Italia match, Gattuso said that Osman has started running at home on the treadmill and his shoulder bothers him less, insinuating, of course, that it does still bother him. He added, for the last four to five days, Osman has been reporting to Gattuso that he is feeling much better. Being positive, Osman was the only player who was not present at the team lunch on Thursday. Gattuso gave the players a day off after the win in the Coppa Italia. They all had lunch together at the Masseria Guida in Ercolano. Finally, FIGC prosecutor Giuseppe Kine has ordered the closure of the investigation into whether Napoli correctly applied the COVID protocols on the weekend of the Juventus match. The note specifically referenced the decision by Coney, which cited that Napoli's actions were both consistent with the health legislation and that Napoli correctly applied the protocols in place at the time. When you think about it, the prosecutor's office really had no choice but to close this investigation. Had they ruled that Napoli did not correctly apply the protocols, then Napoli would have just appealed that ruling back to Coney. Coney already made its decision and would have reversed this one by the FIGC, so continuing this investigation would have only made the FIGC look worse. In Serie A, Bloomberg is reporting that Amazon is preparing a bid for the rights to broadcast Serie A matches for the 2021-2022 to 2023-24 campaigns, and if successful, those matches would be available through Amazon Prime. Amazon has already secured the rights for a number of Champions League games. 
Next, let's review the latest transfer rumors. As always, we'll start with Arkadiusz Milik. Marseille continued to express interest in the Polish striker. The latest reports are that Andres Villas-Boas really likes Milik and that Marseille have offered 8 million euros for him. Supposedly, De Laurentiis wants 15 million euros. I think this is a bit of a risky play unless there are multiple interested parties. Or perhaps De Laurentiis is so vexed with this situation that he's willing to let this contract expire just so Milik doesn't play in the Euros. According to Le Dispar, Marseille are also interested in Olivier Giroud, though I don't know how realistic of a target he might be. The president of the Polish Football Federation, Zbigniew recently spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss about Milik. When he was asked if Milik would go to the Euros, he said, go and do what? If you don't play for nine months, it's like returning from an injury. He added that he's amazed at how Milik's agents have handled his departure from the club because letting a contract go to maturity, in other words, letting it expire, is always a bad thing. Bionic said, if I were his agent, I would never have allowed him not to play. I'm angry. He is one who plays as Lewandowski's backup. We have very strong offensive ability, but the national team cannot work if players don't play at clubs. Another player that could well depart from Napoli is Kevin Malqui. Parma are once again interested in the Frenchman. Parma were interested in Malqui last season as well, but Malqui rejected the offer. However, now the situation has changed. It's become clear that Malqui is not part of Gattuso's plans, with Gattuso opting to start the Lorenzo every match instead. Gazzetta dello Sport are reporting that De Laurentiis has given Parma the okay on a loan until the end of the season. Apparently, Malqui is ready to accept the offer as well, but Roberto Diversa is reflecting on the player's condition. According to Corriere dello Sport, Parma are also looking at Atalanta's Cristiano Piccini as an alternative, but it seems like Malqui will move to Parma. In addition to Milik and Melqui, there has been a lot of talk about Torino's interest in Stanislav Lobotka. Corriere del Mezzogiorno are reporting that Torino have made numerous requests to loan Lobotka, but Napoli are not willing to do a loan. At the very least, Napoli would want a loan with the obligation to buy. Even that may not suffice. Before the Coppa Italia match, Cristiano Giuntoli told Rai Sport that Lobotka is not leaving. Meanwhile, multiple sources are reporting that Napoli are negotiating with Hellas Verona to acquire Mattia Zaccagni. Verona don't want to lose Zaccagni in the winter because of how important he is to the current team, but his contract expires in 2022, so it seems likely that this will be his final season in Verona. Verona don't want to lose Zaccagni in the winter because of how important he is to the current team, but his contract expires in 2022, so it seems likely that this will be his final season in Verona. I've seen some reports suggesting that Napoli could use the same arrangement we did with Amir Rachmani, which is to purchase the player in the winter and loan him back for the balance of the season. Alternatively, we could buy the player outright in the summer. Obviously, there are pros and cons to either approach. The former protects us from other suitors that might come forward between now and the end of the season, especially if Zakani continues his strong play in the second half. The latter protects you from committing in the event the player picks up a serious injury. According to Corriere di Verona, Napoli have offered 14 million euros and Verona are expected to ask for more. So those are the main rumors. A number of other names have been linked to Napoli as well. According to Marca, it's becoming less and less likely that Napoli signed Junior Firpo. He can only leave Barcelona with a max offer and Napoli are not willing to make it. 
Corriere dello Sport are reporting that Udinese have set a minimum price of 40 million euros for Rodrigo De Paul and that Inter, Juve and Napoli are all interested. I've also seen De Paul linked to Liverpool. If that's true, you can kiss our chances of signing De Paul goodbye. The Daily Mail are reporting that Liverpool are interested in Nikola Maksimovic as an option to fill in for the injured Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez. Maksimovic wouldn't cost much given his contract expires in five months, but the report indicates that Napoli don't want to let him go given our own current injury concerns at centre-back. The Sun are reporting that Liverpool and Manchester United are interested in Koulibaly, but he would cost 110 million euros. I almost didn't even bother reporting this one because of where the rumor is coming from. Koulibaly has had an amazing season, but no one is going to pay 110 million euros for him. My opinion on Koulibaly is that he'll always be worth more to us than what other clubs are willing to offer. I think he'll end up retiring as a Napoli player and I'd be perfectly happy with that. He will go down as one of the greatest players to ever wear the Azzurri. La Provence reporting that Marseille fullback Jordan Amato, who Napoli have supposedly set their sights on, is close to renewing with them. And according to Gianluca Di Marzio, Napoli are also interested in Benfica's Nuno Tavares and Sporting Lisbon's Nuno Mendes. After his big game against Udinese, a member of TMOI Bakayoko's entourage, Pasquale Sensibile, told Radio Kiss Kiss that there is a willingness for Bakayoko to stay at Napoli. The Frenchman is currently on a dry loan from Chelsea. Finally, we had a few transfers with our women's team. Anna Martinez has moved to Roma. Martinez's short time with Napoli was fairly disappointing. She joined us from Madrid at the start of the 2020-2021 campaign. As a result of injuries, she only played 230 minutes over 5 appearances and scored no goals. And veteran goalkeeper Sabrina Tasselli joins us from Juventus. She previously played for Sassuolo, Taverniaco, Hellas Verona, and Riviera di Romagna. That will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll preview our game on Sunday against Fiorentina. In the final part, we'll preview our match on Sunday against Fiorentina. This is the 141st meeting between these two clubs in Serie A and the 71st to be played in Napoli. In the previous 70, Napoli have won 32, Fiorentina have won 17, and 21 have resulted in draws. Unfortunately, we meet Fiorentina when they're playing their best football of the season. 
Cesare Prandelli has done a commendable job since taking over as manager after losses to Benevento and Milan, which were understandable given the condition the club was in when he took over. Prandelli has had a record of two wins, four draws, and only two losses. That may not sound that great, but that stretch included matches against Atalanta, Sassuolo, Hellas Verona, Juventus, and Lazio. Prandelli went back to the basics, starting with a focus on defending. Before taking over, Fiorentina were conceding nearly two goals a game against some pretty weak opponents in Torino, Sampdoria, Udinese, Spezia, and Parma. Since taking over, Fiorentina are conceding just over one goal per game. Prandelli has tested out a variety of formations, but it seems the 3-4-2-1 is what he has landed on. That happens to be the same formation that Ivan Juric uses at Hellas Verona, so it's no surprise that Sofian Amrabat is suddenly playing a lot better than he did at the start of the season. Prandelli seems to be getting more out of a lot of players. Frank Ribéry is playing in a more free role, which has worked well for him, except that he's had a couple of injuries. And Dusan Vlahovic has scored five goals in his last six matches. The first two were penalty kicks, but that may have been what he needed to get his confidence up. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. As I mentioned, Cesare Prandelli prefers the 3-4-2-1 formation. Bartolomei Dragovski will start in goal. Typically, Igor starts at center back with German Petzela to his left and Nikola Milenkovic to his right. Petzela got hurt in Fiorentina's last match, so I think we'll see Lucas Martinez Quarta in that role. Alternatively, Prandelli could go back to the four-man back line, in which case we'd likely see Cristiano Biraghi play at left back and Martin Caceres play at right back. Those same players would move up in the four-man midfield to play on the wings. Sofian Amrabat and Gaetano Castrovilli will play in the center of the midfield. I'm curious to see who will play up top behind Dusan Vlahovic, who will play at striker. Frank Ribéry is still dealing with knee issues. Giacomo Bonaventura and Valentin Isaric played in the Coppa Italia, so I doubt both of them will start again in this one. I only expect one of them to start, so I'll go with the younger Isaric, and I think we'll see Jose Callejon play his first game ever against Napoli. For Napoli, Gennaro Gattuso will line up in the 4-2-3-1 once again. David Ospina will likely start in goal. Kalidou Koulibaly should be paired with Nikola Maksimovic at centre-back. Mario Rui should start at left-back because Fauzi Goulam played in the Coppa Italia. And Elcid Kusai will have to play at right-back with Giovanni Di Lorenzo suspended for this game. Timoy Bakayoko and Fabian Ruiz should return in the double pivot. Diego Deme played great against Empoli, but he usually does not play twice in three days because of how hard he plays. Lorenzo Insigne will return to his starting role on the left wing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Matteo Politano starts on the right wing. Chucky Lozano has been amazing this season, but he's played four games in the last 11 days, and I'm sure Gattuso will want him to play in the Supercopa midweek. So if Lozano plays in this game, he will end up playing six games in only 18 days, which in my opinion is too much and would simply be irresponsible. Piotr Zielinski will return to the number 10 spot, and I think we'll finally see Dries Mertens start at striker, given that Petania played 88 minutes against Empoli. So those are the starting lineups. Next, let's look at our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is we need to take advantage of our fresh legs. As we talked about in part one, we started a number of bench players in the Coppa Italia. Rachmani, Gulam, Lobotka, and Elmas all started in that game. With our predicted 11, only two players would have started in the Coppa Italia match, which would be either Politano or Lozano, whoever starts on the wing, and Koulibaly. 
Koulibaly would still be relatively fresh with that match being his first game in a month, and if Politano starts on the right wing, he too would be relatively fresh. His playing time has been limited with the form that Lozano has been in lately. Mario Rui, Nikola Maksimovic, LCQ Sai, and Dries Mertens did not play at all in the Copa. Insigne played a half an hour, Fabian and Zielinski played only 20 minutes, and Bakayoko only played in the final few minutes of the match. On the other hand, Fiorentina's game against Inter in the Coppa Italia went to extra time. Igor, Milenkovic, Castrovilli, and Amrabat all played the full 120 minutes. Vlahovic played 68 minutes, Isarek played 52 minutes, and Bonaventura, who we think will be on the bench, also played the full 120 minutes. With all of those players on short rest, you can expect Fiorentina to take a very defensive approach to this game, which then takes us to our second key to the match, which is that we need to play quick. Fiorentina are going to sit back to conserve their energy and look to strike on the counter. We've really struggled to break down the low block this season. We've also been exposed on the counterattack, so those are both things that concern me. I keep saying that the way to break down the low block is to play quickly. That means one-touch passes and lots of movement off the ball. It also means switching the play to stretch the opposition. We did get a glimpse of that in the Empoli match on two occasions. We transitioned quickly with quick one-touch passes. I think it will be difficult to do that out of the back with Fabian and Bakayoko playing in the double pivot because neither of them are quick, but that shouldn't be a problem in this match if Fiorentina are sitting back. If Merton starts at striker, then I think we can see some quick play in the attack between Mertens, Insigne, and Zielinski. The final key to the match is to strike early. Even if we focus only on the portion of the season where Prandelli has been in charge, Fiorentina have had a penchant for conceding early goals. Milan scored in the 17th minute, Sassuolo scored in the 13th minute, Hellas Verona scored in the 8th minute, and Lazio scored in the 5th minute. It would do us a lot of good to score an early goal in this match, at the same time, we need to be careful not to concede an early goal as well. That has not been an issue for us this season. In fact, along with Hellas Verona, we've conceded the fewest goals in the first half at 5 goals each. Mind you, Verona have played one extra game. That said, Fiorentina scored on Juventus in the third minute of their match, and they came very close to scoring early in the Cagliari match, which was arguably their best game of the season, despite the final scoreline. The head official for this match is Daniele Kifi. Kifi has officiated six Napoli matches since 2014. Napoli have had five wins and a draw in those six matches. His assistants are Matteo Passeri and Giacomo Paganessi. The fourth official is Gianluca Manganiello. And Marco Di Bello is on the VAR, assisted by Dario Cecconi. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. Of course, whenever I don't predict a Napoli win, I hope I end up being wrong. I'll give Napoli's goal to Dries Mertens and I'll give the Fiorentina goal to Dusan Vlaovic. There's a few reasons why I think the match will finish this way. First, we expect Fiorentina to sit back and defend and we've seen Napoli struggle to break down defensive teams. Fiorentina have only conceded more than one goal once in their last six Serie A matches. That makes me think we're only going to score one goal or at the very least it's going to be very difficult to score two. Second, we haven't recorded a clean sheet in 9 consecutive matches in all competitions, so I can't help but think that Fiorentina are also going to score in this match. Third, we have a way of blowing matches when the cards are stacked against our opponent. We lost to a Sassuolo team that was playing without some of their best players in Chicho Caputo, Domenico Berardi, and Filip Juricic. 
We needed a last-minute goal to tie a Torino team that has really struggled to get results this season. We needed a last-minute goal to beat a Nudineza team who has really struggled to score goals this season. And now we play against a tired Fiorentina side on short rest. And fourth, we tend to miss opportunities to gain ground on our main competition. Heading into this match, Roma drop points to Lazio and Juve play against Inter, so there's an opportunity to gain ground here. On match day 12, we knew heading into our match against Inter that Lazio had tied the day before and that Juve tied Atalanta earlier in the day, but we failed to take advantage. Granted, we played really well, but we didn't help ourselves by getting a foolish red card in that match. That proved to be a costly loss because Sassuolo and Milan also tied their matches that weekend. On match day 14, we knew heading into our match that Juventus lost to Fiorentina the day before and we barely scraped together a draw against Torino. And then on the last match day, we knew heading into our game against Udinese that Roma and Inter had tied earlier in the day and that Juve played Sassuolo later in the day and we came within minutes of letting that opportunity slip away as well. So a number of factors worry me for this match, but like I said, I hope I'm wrong. That will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the game. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We'll talk to you again next week to review this match and to preview the big Supercoppa Italiana final, but until then... I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Network.